You have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from October 9th, 2022. The text was Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So as many of you probably are, have heard in passing here and there or other ways, I'm taking some classes through the STEP program, which is a ministry of LMC, who is now going by their initials, Lancaster Mennonite Conference previously, but seems to be the pattern to go by initials nowadays. Maybe I started that when I started signing all of my daughter's stuff with my initials because it took too long to sign all those hundreds of papers with my whole name. But anyway, the, the idea here is that as part of the, um, the classes that I'm taking, how, how do I start this over again? Sorry about that. The classes that LMC offers through the STEP program are probably applicable to pretty much anybody who would be there from a Christian perspective. And yet, because LMC is an Anabaptist organization, there is this effort to try to to focus on what they call some Anabaptist distinctives of how, how might we as a group of Anabaptists view this just a little bit different or what, what might we emphasize that somebody else might not. And so... There's this, this effort to try to present and to teach and to train people from a broad background, but to also try to encourage people to continue to see what about the Anabaptist perspective is important and relevant and really helpful as we follow and as we serve God. Now, there's not really much that is unique to the Anabaptist perspective. In fact, pretty generally, um, if you believe something that is utterly unique, within the Christian faith, that's a warning sign. There's a lot of people out there in the world, and if nobody agrees with you, you better go back and read Scripture again. So, so what they emphasize is Anabaptist distinctives are not unique, but there's something that other groups of Christians, other denominations, might, might not emphasize in the same way or practice slightly differently. An example of this, of course, would be the Anabaptist practice of believer's baptism. Certainly not unique to Anabaptists, but it is something that we would stress, that we would emphasize, and some, many Christian groups would baptize infants instead. So there is something about that that is a little bit different or distinct for us. And one that they brought out that I took me a little while to quite figure out what they were trying to say was the Anabaptist be- belief on the Christ-centered view of Scripture, and I found myself sort of thinking about this, the confession of faith that they, they, they referred to to sort of help us understand this was, says, because Jesus Christ is the word become flesh, scripture as a whole has its center and fulfillment on him. And I initially thought was, well, why is this somehow presented as, as a distinctive thing of the Anabaptist perspective? Isn't this Christian universal? Um, but as I've begun to try to think about it and try to listen to what they were saying and, and to think about what I've read from other perspectives, I'm starting maybe to begin to understand how our perspective as Anabaptists is centered on Jesus in a really powerful way. And I thought maybe 
you can kind of get a picture of what I'm trying to say if you think about another Anabaptist distinctive, which is the commitment to nonviolence. So when somebody approaches us with some sort of a threat of violence or, or other kind of problem, the human reaction is going to want to have fear or some sort of self-preservation. Um, if it's in a national perspective, there's an element of patriotism that can arise, and we want to respond in a certain way. And many Christians look at Scripture, and they see um, lots of passages in the Old Testament about governmental justice through, through efforts of violence. But then we see teachings in the New Testament about loving enemies, and it all becomes complicated, and Christians go in many different directions. But from an Anabaptist perspective, we say, wait a minute, we are followers of Jesus. In a time of confusion and uncertainty, what can we see from the life and the teachings of Jesus to try to bring clarity to this area of scriptural interpretation? And so we see somebody in Jesus who loved even the people who killed him, who actually died so that the people who crucified him could have the opportunity to be saved and to live forever. He rebuked his followers who tried to defend him. He healed the one who was damaged as a result of that defense. And so, so from the Christ-centered scriptural interpretation, we say, well, a lot of Christians come at it this at different angles, but I'm a follower of Jesus so when I'm looking for clarity, what does he say? What does he teach? And the sermon is not about that per se. It's about Jesus and the center, the way that the Christian faith is centered on Jesus. But as I was trying to read in Hebrews, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, when we get there, I kept coming back to this idea that the book of Hebrews is centered on Jesus. And then I, running through my mind were my classes about the way that the Anabaptist perspective sort of emphasizes the centrality of Jesus to our understanding of what it means to interpret Scripture and to read and follow Scripture. And so I like the way they merge together because we're going to be starting this book of Hebrews. We're going to go through it, and you're going to find that it is so often centered on Jesus. We're going to read passages about how Jesus is greater than the angels. We're going to read about how Jesus is greater than Moses. The author talks about how Jesus is higher than the highest of the high priests. We'll read about how Jesus is the final and greatest sacrifice over and over as we go through Hebrews. The idea is that Jesus is the center. And that's not revolutionary. In some ways, that should be the theme every single Sunday, probably at every church. And yet, somehow the book of Hebrews emphasizes this in a particularly special way. And that resonated with those same classes and conversations I've had about how, as Anabaptists, we try to keep Jesus as the center of everything about how we understand what it means to be a Christian. So that helped, hopefully, at least for me, that really encouraged me to look at Hebrews and enjoy it. And so we're going to start into it, but first you might be asking, why Hebrews? We just finished 1 Timothy as our series, why not 2 Timothy, why Hebrews? Well, I mean, you could do whatever you wanted, I guess, but some time ago, we set out with the goal of trying to cover most, at least, of the New Testament letters. I've been trying to figure out how to skip Revelation. Maybe, maybe Jerry will just take all of it, and I'll do something different, or, or we'll get Nathan somebody. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
We're going to go through most of the New Testament letters, at least. They're all scripture. They're all important. We want to cover all of that. But how do you do that in a way that might make some, some sense as a pattern? Well, a while ago, Mark Cain had given us, Jerry Joel and I, a book called The Untold Story of the New Testament Church. And it's a, it's a book that tries to put the New Testament letters kind of in a, a historical setting with Acts as sort of the background of the life of the, of the churches that developed and spread and then the letters that got written to various congregations as a result of the work and tries to put it all together. It's a fairly, in some ways, a fairly short book, a fairly easy read. I recommend it. It it does have one, the author tends to be extremely confident that he is exactly right. Um, I, I think it's definitely worth reading, but maybe, maybe approach it with slightly less confidence than the author has. But I do really like the way that it tries to give the background and the context of each of these letters, the way that they flowed and interacted with one another, and the way they fit into the historical setting in that situation. And since that author was kind of doing the same kind of thing that we had talked about, we've chosen to follow his order, his chronology of the way these books or letters were written. And his guess, well, he's dead sure, it seems, that Hebrews was written in 64. And so that comes after 1 Timothy, before 2 Timothy or Titus or the letters by Peter or John. And so that's why we're covering it at this time. And most sources seem to think it was roughly in that time period. Generally, most people say before 70, somewhere in the mid-60s. But there's a lot of uncertainty about Hebrews. In fact, well, we don't know, we don't know when it was written, for sure. We don't know the author. We don't even know who the author was writing to originally, because the book doesn't give us very many clues about these kind of things. It's not at all like Paul's letter, in which Paul starts by saying who he is and who he's writing to. Although, that said, one of the most common guesses you'll hear about who wrote Hebrews is Paul. There's things about it that sound a lot like Paul, but then again, there's some things that don't. Some of the very early Christians, when they were writing about some of these letters and other other references that we have, refer to this as if it was written by Paul, but some of them attribute it to somebody else or simply say they don't know. I tend to turn to the Bible Knowledge Commentary as a good starting point when I'm trying to answer these questions of who wrote it and why. They seem to lean towards Barnabas, but they mostly emphasize uncertainty. So this kind of exists. You can study and read. We don't know who wrote it, don't know exactly when, and we don't even know quite who he was specifically targeting. Uh, the author clearly assumes that the people reading Hebrews knew the Old Testament extremely well, probably better than any of us in this room know it. In fact, if, if you don't know the Old Testament well, it's probably going to go right over your head how often the author of Hebrews is referring to Old Testament passages. Fortunately, a lot of our modern English translations have cross-references and chain links in there. Even the, just the basic NLT, like is in the pew, will have a lot of footnotes. So if your Bible, your printed version, or digital, or whatever you read, if it doesn't have that, get another one, at least for this study, because, because Hebrews makes tremendous reference to the Old Testament 
and just in the flow of how it goes, and you want to be able to follow that. So we assume that he was writing to Jewish people, or Christians, but from a Jewish background, because they knew the Jewish scriptures very, very well. But, but beyond that inference from the context and the situation, we, we don't really know the details. So we don't know, we don't know the date, the author, the original audience, but we know it's about Jesus. Over and over and over, the author is turning the focus toward Jesus. So, if you want one, one theme or summary of, of the book to keep in your mind as you prepare for this series, remember that it's all about Jesus. But now on to our four verses for today. These four verses sort of introduce, they're a bit of a prelude to the whole thing, and they keep the emphasis on Jesus and show us exactly where this book is going. Hebrews 1.1, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So for a long time, God had spoken through his prophets. So they, some of the times people received verbal messages through the prophets, but as those prophets wrote down a lot of their messages, that's much of what accumulated as the Old Testament, what was the Jewish scriptures. So this is what the very first Christians had. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But the author of Hebrews goes on and says, and now... In these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. So I don't think the author is trying to diminish the importance of any of what came before, but he's trying to say there's something more that has come, and it's, and it's coming from the son. It somehow has some preeminence, some... It was all turned toward Jesus, and he came to fulfill it all. And then he goes on. He talks about who this son is. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So it's all about Jesus. I don't, I'm pretty sure I don't need to try to convince you or to explain to you that the son mentioned here is Jesus. You can keep reading in Hebrews if you want to see how the author develops that. But this is about Jesus. There's a lot here in just a few, a few sentences in English. But I had five things that stood out to me. Five things here that the author mentions that I think we know it all. It's just review, and yet it's the sort of thing that we should review regularly. The glory, the majesty, the might of Jesus as the center of our Christian faith. First, Jesus is the creator of all things. I suspect most of the time if you asked a Christian, well, where did this world come from? You'll get an answer something like, God made it, which is true. And yet the New Testament emphasizes something that wasn't really emphasized or apparent in the Old Testament. Creation was through Jesus, the Son. In John chapter 1, John writes, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him, to him being Jesus. Paul says something similar in Colossians chapter 1 that I, I read to open this service. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, 
He made the things we see and the things we can't see. So exactly how this works with a triune God, a Father, Son, and Spirit, I don't pretend to understand. But if somebody asks you now, well, who created everything? I think a New Testament answer is to say Jesus, or it came through Jesus is some of the wording. But, but number two, Jesus sustains all things. Those, those writers who were turning the focus towards Jesus as creator never stopped there. Just like in Hebrews, those other passages also refer to Jesus sustaining creation, often by his word. Exactly what this means, again, I, I don't know everything, but it was important to these New Testament writers to emphasize not just the creative role, but also the sustaining role. So we should continue to emphasize that as well. The third point, Jesus exactly reveals God to us. And I think this one's really neat. Paul says much the same things in Colossians, and says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So no one can ever see God per se, and yet people could see Jesus. He was God made visible. But one of the things that the New Testament writers seem to be trying to say is that this wasn't some kind of an incomplete situation, a kind of a, a glimpse or a peek at God. The New American Standard does our Hebrews verses saying he is the exact representation of his nature. For John 14, verse 9, Jesus is speaking to Philip, and Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So this, I think, is a little bit of what it means to have a Christ-centered view of Scripture, of Christianity. See, there are going to be times when when things don't make sense, at least to me, a lot of times things don't make sense. I become uncertain about something. But if I know from Scripture that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature, the very image of the invisible God, if I know that to see Jesus is indeed to see the Father, like he told Philip, then Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, his example will bring clarity, clarity to me when I reach a place of uncertainty and I'm just not sure what to do or what to think because Jesus is the center. Fourth thing, Jesus cleansed us. This is going to be dealt with more fully later on in this letter of Hebrews, but it is, it is fundamental to our understanding of Jesus. Our righteousness before God is not because of something we did. It's only because of Jesus. He cleansed us. And yet there's another angle to that. If you are a follower of Jesus, then he has cleansed you. You you are ready to stand before God because he has cleansed you. So emphasize Jesus as the agent. He did it. Or you can emphasize the cleansed part. We have been made clean. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. And this too is discussed further as we go through Hebrews. But I think it's pretty critical It does have one aspect of emphasizing the resurrection. When Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He rose, he ascended. But I think it's also crucial to understanding our relationship with God. The one who cleansed us is now seated in heaven. I like to have a picture in my mind, and and in my picture, I I can kind of see myself approaching the throne. And and when I do, I feel completely unworthy, and in some ways, rightly so. And yet, in that sort of Mental, mental image, I see Jesus speaking up and saying, oh, here is Jeremy. 
I cleaned him, and that's why he can be here in the presence of God. Now, again, you can ask questions of Father, Son, and Spirit. How, does, how do three become one? How does God sit beside himself? And I don't, I don't answer those kinds of questions because I don't know how to explain it. It feels to me like Scripture gives us pictures to teach us the truths that we need to know and exactly how it works. Maybe our minds are not quite able to fully comprehend. But we know The Son is not dead. He is risen in heaven, representing us, having first created us, sustained us, and cleansed us. And it's all about Jesus. One more verse in our passage for today. It's depending how you read it. It's either the end of this opening section or maybe the start of the rest of chapter 1. But it says, this shows us that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God The name God gave him is greater than their names. So there are other spiritual beings out there, and sometimes people might be tempted to be distracted by that. But the author of Hebrews wants it to be absolutely clear that Jesus is so much greater. Don't ever lose the focus on Jesus. So we're starting this book of Hebrews. We're going to continue it for a while. There'll probably be breaks around Christmas and at other times. But this will be where we're at for a while. And as you're preparing for that, If one thing sticks in your mind, remember that Hebrews is all about Jesus because being a Christian is all about Jesus. Extremely basic, but extremely foundational. It's a really good book, I think, for those who have a Christ-centered view of Scripture and the Christian faith. You have been listening to the Trustler Mennonite Sermon from October 9, 2022. The passage was Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Take care.